So I had a physical not long ago, and generally I've uh, enjoyed good health. You know, I, I don't take any medications. My blood pressure is good. I got my mom's instead of my dad's. Uh, I have aches and pains are like super rare for me. I just, I've been, God has really been kind to me. I say that in the context of going to see my doctor. I get my blood work done, and he gives me a call. And he said, uh, hey, Jonathan. Just his tone, I was like, I don't think it's like totally good here, you know? And he said, hey, there's some good things here, but I want to talk about a couple of the numbers. And I, you know, called when I was at home, so I put on a speakerphone, thought Mary might want to hear. I should have not done that, right, you know? And he said, you got a couple of numbers that are like trending the wrong direction. And uh, like your cholesterol. And so he, we talk about it. My, and, and I want to tell you, I have a great doctor. Like he's competent, he's kind. But do you ever get news like that from your doctor and you're like, I shouldn't have picked up the phone. How dare he tell me something like that or she tell me something like that. I didn't really think that, but I thought, I don't really... This isn't like, this isn't a good phone call. And uh, there's nothing horrible, but I just thought, you know, but I had a choice to make. We all do, right? When you get, when you get a, a diagnosis or a, some kind of a call from a doctor and they tell you something, you, you can do one of a few things, right? Number one, you can just go, I'm just going to ignore that. I've been living my life fine. No problems. I'm just going to keep on eating ice cream for every meal, <laughs> Smoking, not exercising, whatever it is, eating your cheeseburgers every day for lunch, you know. You can ignore, reject it, and go, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, second thing you can do is you can say, uh, I'm irritated with the person delivering the news. I, they might think they're a trusted authority, but I'm sort of ticked off that they would tell me this. Like, this is not, I, I do not like what they're telling me. And so I'm just not going to really pay attention because I don't really trust them. And the third option is you can listen to what they say and accept it and let it shape your outlook. You trust that they're the authority, that they know more than you do. They've seen things that you can see. He checked my blood. I did not. And even if I'm not jumping up and down with happiness or what he said, I take it, you know, to heart and I begin to make some adjustments. So what are you going to, what, what am I going to do? I hope that in three months you'll see a slimmer Jonathan. I've started running this past couple weeks, and I hate running. <laughs> I hate running. Did I say that I hate running? My wife loves to run. It's like for her, like, I get to run four miles today. Like something is, she needs counseling. I don't know. I, I you know. <laughs> um, I'm going to start eating oatmeal for every breakfast and cardboard for lunch. Um, and then I'm going to alternate between cardboard and oatmeal for dinner. Uh, and, and you know, to bring the cholesterol down. Seriously, whatever the doctor recommends, uh, I, I take it seriously and I believe that they have my best in mind. So why would I adjust? Because we have to decide what we're going to do when we get news about our condition and, and I want to tell you a couple of reasons why I'm going to make adjustments. First of all, this body does not belong to me. It belongs to whom? It belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you're not your own. You were bought with the price. Your body belongs to him. This has been entrusted to me. I don't own this. And so I, I answer to him for the way I take care of this body. So that's number one. Secondly is my best friend. 
And if the Lord grants my desires, I'm gonna live a lot more years with her right there. That was a few weeks ago when we visited our kids out in Colorado. Some of you have been to the Garden of the Gods. A third reason is because of another little guy in my life. I had to get a picture of my grandson in there, right? Some of you are going like, in case you missed this summer, little Teddy, Theodore James, is two months old this week. And, uh, and he is just such a little happy guy. And I want to I wanna play ball with him and ride bikes. I don't want to run with him, but maybe I'll even do that at some point. And I'll chase him. And so I, I love little Teddy. And there's another group of people I really love. And that is you, my church family. I want to have a lot more years with you. And this is a picture from uh, August, mid-August, uh, at Beulah Beach when we were there in the hillside in Vermilion, and that's looking out over Lake Erie, and we baptized 47 people that day. Uh, it was fantastic uh, what God uh, is, has done and is doing. And I want to spend a lot more time with you all. So I may not like the diagnosis, but a diagnosis can lead to positive change. So let's apply that spiritually. What if we took the same principle and we applied that to our spiritual health? You hear from a trusted authority and they give you a diagnosis and it's not good. It's not good at all. And you have a choice. You can hear what is said about your spiritual condition and you can go, you know what? I don't really accept that. I don't believe it, I ignore it, and you just keep on living life the way you please. A lot of people do that, right? They're like, you know what, I don't really believe what the Bible says, I'm not even sure there is a God. But at some point, we have to figure out what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with me. Why do I do things that I don't wanna do? Why is there brokenness and hurtful habits in my life? Why do I react sometimes? The way? What's wrong with me? Will I accept the diagnosis from a trusted authority? Some people just go, nope. Other people get angry with the messenger. They're like, you know what? I don't, I don't even like the Bible or I don't like, I think God is, you know. Or, and, but then you start to realize that the person delivering the news actually like cares about you. Can I say a word to my doc, doctor? Doc, if you're, you might be, he goes to grace. If you're here, if you're watching, um, I am so grateful for you and for giving me the tough news and doing it in a gracious way. Uh, thank you. And friends, we have a, a, someone in our lives, a, a father in heaven, who loves us enough to say, can I tell you that there's something wrong with you? And, uh, and he gives us the news. And so we can accept or reject, or we can ignore or reject it. We can be angry with him or just say, I don't really give a rip about what God, you know, what does he have to say into my life? Or if we're wise, we can accept the news and let it shape our outlook on who we are. You trust the authority and their diagnosis of your condition. And even if you're not jumping up and down for joy with happiness, you, you take it seriously. And friends, if, if we do that with our physical health, which is important, how much more our spiritual health? Paul says in Timothy, he goes, there's value in physical exercise, but how much more in spiritual caring for your soul? And can I just tell you the good news here? The good news is that the, the end of the story is not bad news. It's not like you have a terrible spiritual condition and there's nothing you can do about it. He says, you have a terrible spiritual condition. There's nothing you can do about it, but there's someone who has done something about it for you. 
And there's an answer. So we want to look at that today. Really, this is the story of the book of Romans. Who are we? Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? What has God done to make it right? How can I experience that? And then how can I live the kind of life that he intends for me to live? So let's turn to the book of Romans. It's the sixth book of your New Testament. And uh, whether your paper Bible or the Bible app, I want to say hi to all of you again who are engaging online. Uh, thank you for being with us. And there are notes on our home page of our website, or if you download the Grace app, they're really easy to access there, and you'll see blanks and all the notes there. One of the things you'll see in the notes is how Romans is divided into five parts. We talked about this last week. I want to just drill this down, so I'm going to ask you to say these five S's with me aloud here. Let's say them together. You ready? Sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. And the chapters there are right beside them, and the first one we're looking at is sin. Like, my identity is marked that I, I have a problem. I have a diagnosis that's terrible. And if, if we want to just be transparent, we all do. So Paul addresses in these first three chapters a few groups of people. And he gives them a diagnosis and he ends with hope. Here are the four groups. You have non-religious people, respectable people, religious people, and then redeemed people. All of us are in one of those groups. And so as, we're, as we look at each one of these, I want you to sort of self-identify and say, okay, which of those groups am I in? First, here in Romans chapter one, uh, verse, verses 18 to 32, Paul talks about non-religious people. We looked at this group last week, so just briefly, these individuals, they give little thought uh, to God. Here's how Paul summarizes their outlook on life in verse 21 of Romans 1. He says, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Like they're just spiritually dark. They just, the lights are turned off. And in verse 29, he says, they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They have this philosophy of life, these irreligious people that can sort of be summed up in one word, just like whatever, just whatever. You know anybody like that? They're like, you know what? Just whatever. How are you going to live your life? Just whatever. In fact, Paul uses that word in verse 24. He says this. He says, God let them go ahead and do whatever. Whatever shameful things their hearts desired as a result, they did vile and degrading things. People in this group, if they want to do it, they just do it. For them, it's all about personal happiness, what makes me feel good, and I just do it, and there's no boundaries or guardrails in my life. We all know people like that. Probably a lot of us were like that, right? And you're like, I had no boundaries in my life. Maybe you live like that today. You know someone who does. And, and you're like, and I just do whatever I want to do. You know the problem with that is? We start to realize it doesn't satisfy in the long run. And there's something else with that. When we live for ourselves and for our personal happiness, we end up, it's all about me, myself, and I, and we end up hurting the people around us. Because our selfish behavior has a negative and, and really disastrous effect on the people that we would claim to love. Irreligious people, whatever they want to do. They're like, diagnosis? I don't really care what the Bible says about me. First group Paul writes about, and the verdict for this group, non-religious people, and a word, guilty. 
guilty before a holy God. We saw that last week in verse 20. It says that they are without excuse. That's group number one. You know, some of us read about folks like that and we're like, oh man, go get them, Paul. Those, you know, do whatever they please kind of non-religious people, they deserve every bit of justice they have coming to them. I think the way they're living is atrocious. But Paul isn't done yet. He goes, oh, so you're feeling good about yourself? You're not in that irreligious group living, doing whatever you please? He goes, let's talk about another group here. And he talks about this second group of respectable people. This group justifies themselves by comparison with others. They sort of point fingers at other people and go, hey, you know, can you believe, man, did you hear what he did? That colleague of ours, that's unbelievable. Like, I would never do that. And they don't say it, but they feel better about themselves by comparing themselves to the whatever kind of behavior of other people. The problem is that their sins are still there. They're just more hidden and secret and internal they're never like, they don't get charged with crimes and you know, there's, but not everybody's talking about it. But, and Paul talks to this group and listen to what he says here in chapter two. This is where first chapter he talks about people who are pagan or religious. Second chapter he turns to these respectable people. Listen to what he says in chapter two, verse one. He says, you therefore, you don't have any excuse either. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge others, he's going, you just look and point the finger at other people. You're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Like God's diagnosis is right. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And God will repay each person according to what they have done. Let's just stop there a moment. A person in this group Again, their sins are more inward. They just like to point finger. They, they judge other people to make them feel better about themselves. Remember Jesus told a story about this. He's, he's talking about what it looks like. How do you get to be accepted in God's sight? And he tells a story about a Pharisee. Who, Pharisee was like, they were the respected elite in the community. It was like, they were then the who's who. You know, the man, the woman of the year in the community. They got the awards. That's one person. And then you had the tax collector guy. And they were, like the, they were like the bottom of the ladder. If you work for the IRS, this is not about you, you know? Uh, this was, these are people who were corrupt, who cheated other people. They just sort of told them like whatever they thought, they wanted to charge them in taxes and they kept part of the money for themselves. So both these guys go to worship one day. They go to church, synagogue. And the Pharisee says he prays to himself. Respectable people sometimes do that. It's more about who they are and he goes, God, people who feel really good about themselves sometimes say it that way, God, I thank you that I'm a really good person and I thank you that I'm not like the sinners around me like that guy over there. That guy over there starts to pray and what does he do? It says in the Bible he beats his chest. You know why? Because in that day, that meant you were just so broken over your sin. You're just like, oh God. We might say he sobbed. 
he sobbed and he just said, God, he stood at a distance and he said, God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? You have an irreligious person, you have this respect, and Jesus is just one of them went home justified, forgiven that day, which one was it? It was this guy, right? Because he accepted the diagnosis of a spiritual condition. And this respectable guy over here who just sort of judged other people and looked at them was like, I feel really good about myself because I am definitely not like those people. And look what Paul says about them in verse 16. He dropped down there and he says, this judgment will take place on the day when God judges what? People's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Friends, God sees into our hearts. He, he knows the sin that other people miss. He knows the sins that I miss in my own life. He sees the secret places, our hidden failures. And Paul summarizes in verse one, he says, you're just as bad and you have no excuse. So the verdict for more respectable types whose spiritual illness may be less visible Guilty. Irreligious people, guilty. Respectable people, guilty. There's one more group that we might find ourselves a member of. We might be like, well, I'm certainly not like an irreligious person. And I'm more than just like a moral kind of, you know, upstanding person. Like, I'm a very religious-like person. And, and, and I, you know, I've done a lot of good things in life, and I haven't done a lot of bad things, and I, 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 I mean, my I've been, a really, I've been a really religious guy. Let's see how Paul addresses this group. Middle of the chapter. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation just because I like the clarity of how he says, that, how this passage reads in the New Living Translation. He says, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's laws, God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law, you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Being a little bit sarcastic there, he's like, you're all smug because you're so religious in your background and heritage. He goes on, verse 21. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but you ever cheat on your income tax or take something home from work you shouldn't? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you watch any programs on TV that, or porn or you lust after other people? You condemn idolatry, but is there greed in your life? You're so proud of knowing the law, but do you ever mess up and sin even when you know it's wrong? No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because you know what he's saying there? He's going, people look at you and go, you think you're religious? Look at the way you live. You're no different than anybody else. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than uncircumcised Gentiles. You're religious people. You see, these folks are trying to rely on their religious background, specifically here, their Jewish heritage. Paul, Paul is writing to Jewish people in Rome and he's going, you, you think because you have this ceremony of circumcision, you have the law, you've got this special like relationship with God as heritage. You're, 
You ever hear people do it today? You're talking about their spiritual, spirituality or their faith, and you, you say, well, what's your background? They're like, oh, man, spiritual background. Like, you should, you know, yeah, I mean, my, my uncle Dominic has been a priest for years, you know, and Mary, Mary grew up, her, we got married in a church that was named Howard Memorial Presbyterian Church. You know what that side of the family's last name was? Howard. Like we got married in the Howard Memorial and it was the Howard family. My one uncle, when he was a boy, he thought the Lord's Prayer was our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's, they thought they had that kind of heritage. Like we like own God. Like he's, I mean, the church is named after us. God's name is Howard. My grandmother was in church every time the doors were open. And we rely on this religious heritage and we think somehow because we were baptized as a baby or we went through confirmation or something else that our religious heritage is enough to make us acceptable before God. You know what Paul says, verse 28? He says, you're not a true Jew. You're not a true follower of God just because you were born of Jewish parents. You're not a Christian just because your parents are Christians or your grandparents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision, or we might say any other kind of ceremony. No, a true Jew, a true follower of God is one whose heart is right with God. You have a, a diagnosis spiritually that's clean. But here's the problem. We simply can't do that on our own, so we're frustratingly stuck. Like, there's... Here's the final summary of what Paul is saying about us in Romans chapter one to three. If you want the first three chapters of, Ro of uh, Romans, he's, he's saying this, while we may do good deeds, no one can manage to be in good standing with God because we all have this deep fault in our soul. So you know what God's final verdict is for every single person who has ever lived? Non-religious people are what? Say it out loud. Guilty. Respectable people are Religious people are, every single person is. We can accept that or not. But if you don't, you're all on your own to deal with whatever spiritual illness is in your soul. Guilty. I remember visiting a friend who was manager at a plastics company and, uh, and they would make these plastic bottles for like soap detergent and, you know, all, any, anything that came in plastic bottles, like you buy in, you know, the grocery store or, or whatever, Walmart or something, these people, they made the bottles and companies would, you know, have their solutions or whatever put in those bottles. So I, I, I find that stuff fascinating. So I, I go to visit them one day. I said, I want to pray for your witness in your workplace and show me what you do. So these big trains pull up, they, you know, these cars, they've got filled with these plastic-like pellets, and then they would be eventually put in these huge machines, and, and they, under intense heat and pressure, they would go through and they would form these bottles. And they'd be coming down the, uh, the conveyor belt. And they'd all be coming down the conveyor belt, hundreds of them, thousands of them, you know? And they'd all pass this scanner right here on the right. And it, the scanner would take a look at the bottle, and every so often it would... <clears throat> And there'd be this arm that would sweep it across into the faulty bin. It didn't really say, eh, but I thought that sounded more cool. <laughs> it just sort of looked at it and was like, boom, and you went off. 
You know what Romans 1 to 3 says about us? That we have this creator, our maker, and he's made all of us. And we're all headed down the conveyor belt of life. And there's a scanner from Romans 1 to 3 looking into our soul to see if we're faulty. And you know what happens for every single one of us? The arm sweeps across and sweeps us right into the faulty bin. And it's horrible. It's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And if we were to peek ahead, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is what? It's death. God, let's pray. No, I'm just teasing. That would be terrible if I ended right there, right? You go, you can't end with like sweeping us into the bin and death, right? The wages of sin is death, but the what? The gift of God, like God gives us a gift. This is the point of the book of Romans. This is our identity, that you and I are faulty people. We have this terrible spiritual diagnosis and there's nothing we can do about it. But the gift of God, the gift of God, and what does he do? You're looking at your notes, it says this, the judge takes our place. If we're to peek ahead at the book of Romans, the miracle of the gospel is this, that God sentences himself. Romans 2, chapter 3, verse 24, just peeking ahead. Here's what God does for us. God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight, pure, Faultless. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. Friends, do you see what he does because of his outrageous love for you? And for me, we have this guilty verdict. Spiritually, our ship is sunk, so what does God do? He doesn't ignore our rebellion. He, he doesn't just relax his demands. For him to do that would be to be like, just, that's no, not that bad. It's not that evil. It's not. No, it's terrible what we've done. So instead, rather than dismiss our sin, he owns it. Jesus takes our sins and pays the penalty. He's our cure. So we can say with the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. You could say it this way. God did what I could never do so that I could be what I could never dare dream. Perfect before God. A friendship restored. Verse 22 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It doesn't matter if you're irreligious, you're respectable, you're a religious person, you're sinful. And he says, it doesn't matter who you are, when you put your faith in Jesus, the declaration about you, Jonathan Schaefer, not guilty. Cynthia, put her trust in Christ, not guilty. Dominic placed his faith in Jesus, not guilty. Joe put his trust in Christ, not guilty. Every single one of us who places our faith in what Jesus has done for us, not guilty. I want to go back to my uh, interaction with my primary care physician. You know, after he looked at my blood work, uh, we sort of, there's a plan of action. Essentially, the the message was this, Jonathan, here's your diagnosis, and here's what, what? You have to do. You gotta do it. Mary can't do it for me. My colleagues can't do it for me. My kids can't do it for me. I gotta take ownership, and I've gotta do something. 
You know what the Father in heaven says? It's totally different. He says, here's your diagnosis, and here's what's what? Been done for you. Here's what's been done for you because I can't do it on my own. I'm terminally ill spiritually, but God has given me a cure at the cost of his only son, Jesus. Why? Because he loves me that much. You see, friends, this is not like you are not a plastic bottle on a conveyor belt. You are a person made in the image of God and dearly loved by him. The Bible is not a collection of random stories. The Bible is one unified story about how our world was created, what went wrong, how we got messed up with God, how he makes it right, and the plans that he has. God desperately wants you to be part of his family. He's a father who loves you that much. So instead of our identity being guilty, 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 instead it becomes not guilty, redeemed. A son or a daughter loved by their father in heaven. The moment that you put your trust in him, that's the wonder of the gospel. Let's thank Jesus for making it possible. Jesus, thanks for telling us the truth about ourselves without you. We're broken, we're messed up. We might accept that, we might not but it's what you say is true. But you've also given us the answer and it's been at such great cost to you. And so we just thank you today. We bless you. May our hearts sing out in love for what you've done for us. And may the wonder of what you've done transform the way that we live. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen.